God, dear Lord, we're grateful for a day before you. We'd ask that our minds would be strengthened, refreshed by your word, your son's teaching, our acknowledging and sitting before it and understanding it. We'd ask that you'd bless us in that, like they did in Nehemiah's day. In your son's name, amen. We're in John chapter 2, the Gospel of St. John. You know, when you're, again, I always mention that on cultural hallmark holidays, like Father's Day, you kind of vaguely look around for some hymn with the word Father in it, some text with the word Father in it, so you can check that box off. You get a lot of that in John. Christ as the only Son of the Father, we, we know that that relationship is uh, a huge part of his ministry and how he functioned on earth. So it's pretty easy. The question is then what do we do with it? What, do we, what kind of admonition, what kind of encouragement can we, can we draw on the left-hand side here at the top from Luke 2, it says, this is when he, his parents couldn't find him when he was about 12. And he said to them, how is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Where else would I be? Now, it was his recognition of God the Father as his father. He knew Joseph knew for certain. Mary knew for certain. They all knew who his father was. Why did they go look for him everywhere and finally find him in the temple? So that's what, you know, when, when you look at Christ's whole sense of himself, he's, he, he is the incarnation of the living God. Stepping into a world filled with the, the Hebrew people, with the temple to himself, there in the town he was visiting. It's got to really mess with your head quite a bit. So we're looking at in John 2, the John 2 and then Mark 11 a little bit on the cleansing of the temple. Mark, John 2 is the earlier one at the beginning of his ministry, and then there's one right after the triumphal entry that occurs in the other Gospels but we'll want to refer to both of them a little bit. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers at their business. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all with the sheep and the oxen out of the temple, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. You shall not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for thy house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign have you to show us for doing this? And Jesus said, Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Now, we all, we've seen paintings of this. 
I don't even know if it was a, you know, various movies of the life of Christ. People go to this point when they talk about Christians' reaction to sin in the church or in the world. We're going to sort of dodge those you know, practical one-to-one comparisons. Do you have the right, if you show up at All Souls Christian Church, to start flipping pews because, you know, um, I don't know, somebody was taking a, 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 an offering for something or someone sold someone something here at church. You start turning things over. and That's the one-to-one, where we think that the example of Christ is one-to-one. Now, we know that when... Christ's relationship with his father and subsequently his father's house you shall not make my father's house a house of trade we know that we're supposed to in some way be registering with that relationship when he says call no man father for you have one father now When we uh, realize that, realize, hold it, shouldn't, shouldn't we then be more concerned, Evan, to do this one-to-one application of, of Jesus being kind of difficult? I mean, we're not just flipping pews, we're making a whip. He's planning, it's, a, it's premeditated. How much does zeal for your father's house consume you. Now, the temple was very important to Jesus. It was his father's house. It grew out of the tabernacle where the presence of God dwelt in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle of Moses, then in the temple of Solomon, then in the temple of Ezra, and the temple of Ezra was torn down in 19 BC by Herod the Great, and rebuilt into Herod's temple, which Christ was visiting. But in all cases, the Holy of Holies, God's name had made himself to dwell, and his presence dwelt there. I've said to you before, a temple, not a church, a temple is the house of a god. It's considered a house. This is not the house of God. This is an assembly place for Christians. It's a church, an ecclesia. Now, we're not going to say, well, why don't we build a temple then? Why don't we consider the Vatican or rebuild the temple in Jerusalem like the dispensationalists would like? We're missing something that Christ throws at the Jews in this moment. We're missing something when we're looking at his example of what he does and then think in imitating him that it's a one-to-one living out. Do you not realize that Jesus understood the theology of Christianity? Sometimes we, we forget that Jesus understands the theology of what he's doing. Because right in the middle of this, after he's been flipping pews, driving people out of the temple, and they go, what are you... What are you doing? And he says, 
destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And we're Christians that we know what he's talking about. We know that he just changed the subject. He didn't start talking about how important it was to keep little kids from running around in the temple. Because that's what I got told when I was little. Don't run, this is the house of God. Or he didn't start talking about in, in some sort of massive detail, you know, you shouldn't be selling stuff at the temple at sacred ground. He just immediately moves it to, I'm going to die, and I'm going to be raised from the dead. That's what he's talking about when he says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. They missed the point. They're still thinking about the physical. And you will raise it up in three days? Side point, this helps you understand the dating of the life of Christ. Uh, the temple was begun to be built in 19 BC. 42 year, 46 years later, it's 27 AD. Okay? So right around circa 27 is when the beginning of the ministry of Christ seems to begin. But he spoke of the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. So the scripture and the word Jesus had spoken was, zeal for thy house will consume me, and I will tear this temple down and raise it up. So it seems to be that Jesus Christ knows Christian theology. He knows that the temple, physical, in Jerusalem, that Herod built, as fancy as it was, amazing as it was, was off point. As long as it was, it should be reverenced. You shouldn't be selling stuff or money changing in it. But Jesus knew it was a shadow. Jesus knew that when he was thinking primarily of his father's house, the temple didn't come to the front of the line necessarily. The front of the mind was, zeal for thy house consumes me, and you tear this temple down, I will raise it up in three days. He's talking about his body. Now, the Lord also knows and prophesies in Matthew that the temple that he's standing in, not one stone was going to be left upon another within that generation. He didn't have long hopes for this physical temple. But remember, even though he protects it, he's protecting it to teach us something because he knows that it's a shadow. The shadow is good as long as the shadow is all you have. But the shadow isn't good when you know you have the substance that casts the shadow. Now, at the end of this situation, verse 23, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did, but Jesus did not trust himself to them, because he knew all men, and needed no one to bear witness of man, for he himself knew what was in man. So what I want you to think about is what Christ is handling here, and ask yourself, if you acknowledge with Christ what is in man, what are we about? What are we doing? What are, how does this religious thing that seems to be so evident, a sacred space with 
the design of Herod's temple was remarkable. It was a glorious, glorious building on, you know, level, higher level than what you'd call the Parthenon in Greece, uh, just in terms of, of the architecture. Very easy for us to get caught up in physicalities. Very easy for us to get caught up in everything but the substance. So your question you're asking yourself is what's in me? Now I want you to look on the left hand side the Mark 11 passage. This is the later cleansing of the temple. Okay? They came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he taught and said to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The first time he does this, he quotes out of Psalms um, 69, Zeal for thy house will consume me. Here he's quoting out of Isaiah 59. But he adds something, yeah, 56, did I mistype it? Very possible. They look so much alike. They... So that's what happens. It's called a scribal, a scribal error. What was I saying? It was it about the temple? First time recorded from Psalms, the time I the Okay, thank you. <laughs> It's like priming and priming a carburetor. My house will be a house of prayer for the nations. Now, what's interesting here is if you know the layout of, of Herod's temple, um, nothing looks like it here. Um, let's pretend this chancel is the Holy of Holies, the holy place and the Holy of Holies inside, kind of a standard. And, and it's a closed building with a roof. Out here is a court that goes down some steps. There's a balustrade around the temple on two sides. Uh, the, the holy place is up against the, the northwest corner of the enclosure. Then there's a kind of a plateau or a, a deck, patio, a balustrade that people couldn't go past if they were Gentiles. And then you step down into uh, the court of women on the west side, south side, and the uh, court of the Gentiles on the east side. And then behind the court of the Gentiles was a long colonnade, like back where the balcony is, um, uh, of Corinthian columns that ran uh, called Solomon's Porch. That's where the rabbis and the money changers and everybody was functioning. They were teaching schools of philosophy, uh, they, uh, theology. And then there was another, the royal porch on the south side, uh, another colonnade. What it seems to have happened is the Jews were setting up these money changer tables and these selling of pigeons, selling of various things, where the Gentiles could come and pray. They were limited where they could go. If you had a devout Gentile that had come to the temple, he could go in thus far and no further, and now that place is all taken up with, you know, farmer's market. People who wanted to make money in the temple. And that's why the Lord says, my house should be called a house of prayer for all the nations. The word nations is the word Gentiles. 
Christ not only when he says in the first cleansing, tear this temple down, I'll raise it in three days. He's also talking about Christianity when he talks about the house of prayer for all the nations. It was physically there in the temple. It was being violated by the money changers. But in his protection of it, Jesus knows what that shadow, the court of the Gentiles, by what substance in God's purpose was that shadow cast? Now, a lot of people would look at this and say, okay, in the church, you're all Gentiles. Any Jews here? I don't see any. Caleb, way part. He just looks really Jewish. Some of you have beards, not just, but you look pretty Anglo-Saxon. Some of you got Japanese in you. Some of you got... Uh, what else? French? Some of you Irish? And thank God some of us Scots. But Gentiles. We're, uh, we're Gentiles. But there are some, you know, a variety. In Idaho, you don't get much choice. You know, it's not a big city. We don't have a large black population. We don't have a large Asian population. We have student things. But you know, the churches don't. But other places, people are very concerned about diversity. And you want to be sure that Christians, just like it tells you to not welcome the rich man more than you would the poor man, you want to be sure that you, you have a, an inclusive, tolerant, diverse, international. I went to a church in London 11 years ago or so which I couldn't believe, it was John Stott's church, All Souls, same name. Um, and it was just so international. It was just, I was a white guy, but in England, and I was you're not, not, you know, majority. There was just so many internationals. Well, we'd like that. I, I, again, I have no problem with someone making that kind of suggestion, but it's not what our Lord is about. He's not doing this so that we will in our protection of the church, in our desire to flip pews, our desire to uh, uh, be like Jesus, that we're trying to make sure that the Gentiles among us, whatever they are, the Philistines, the Gentiles, whatever we consider to be the outside ethnic groups, that we should be sure to welcome them. I'm sure as Christians you would. But that's not the point. When Christ knew that the temple in Jerusalem had a court of the Gentiles that would have a house of prayer for the nations, he wasn't hoping that the temple would last forever. He knew it wasn't going to. It was going to last another, you know, 30 years. 40 years. Another 40 years. Then it was going to be gone. Forever. And it wasn't going to be replaced by church buildings all over the landscape in North America. In every town, these little steepled things, there aren't many temples that we have the Holy of Holies up front. He knew that was over. The shadow was going to be gone. You can pretend it's still there all you want, but it's gone. The shadow God put on the ground. But our, but our church, our 
experience with this is not in the Old Covenant. It is not in the shadows. This is why Ephesians 2 is on the page below this. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles... Oh, that's us. So we can listen to this part. You Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Remember? Where it really kind of, if you had any desire for God and you went to the temple in Jerusalem and you were, you know, a Gaul or a, what was someone else, an Egyptian and you walk into the temple and you hear, okay, over there, they had little signs. They've actually found the signs that, that were posted on the balustrade before the temple was destroyed. Basically saying, if you're a Gentile, don't go past this. We can't vouch for your safety. Because the Jews would tear you, you know, you know how the Middle East is. You know, you're walking along with your Quran and you drop it. You know, half the world goes up into a mushroom cloud and, and everybody dies. That's how the Jews were about Gentiles moving past their court. So you find out very politely where the court is and you, you say, I can go pray to Je Jehovah or Yahweh. That's, that's what little you had. It was a toenail hold. But God had said, I have made my house a house of prayer for the Gentiles. Remember when it was like that? When God's name had held these people up and he had given himself to the Jews? But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near in the blood of Christ. Huh. No, not brought near by better architecture or better seating plans so that we make sure the Scots have a place to sit in church. We're not just arranging things so that we label it well and we, we don't have separation, we don't have... Oh, you might want to do that all you want, but that's not what Christianity is about. We're not here to mimic the temple. We have been brought near. This has been solved. The real court of the Gentiles, the real house of prayer... The real answer to this, the substance that Christianity is, is that in Christ Jesus, we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. So the Jew and the Gentile, which were held on a dicey proposition with a balustrade between them, which was even insulted by the money changers, Christ had to protect it. When the Lord looks at it, he knows, I'm going to destroy this in 40 years. But as is, it is the house of God. It is the shadow that God wanted to be cast. And I'm going to tell you some things about that shadow that is very meaningful to us as Christians. Because we know that he's thinking about his own sacrifice. We know that we Gentiles have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That sacrifice he made, the temple of his body, that would be destroyed and raised up in three days, that's meaningful to us. Not because the temple in Jerusalem, no tears over that. It deserved to be destroyed. But Jesus Christ is what has brought us near. 
He has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. Jew and Gentile have the same problem, sin, and have the same answer, the death and resurrection of Christ. By abolishing it in his flesh, this is how he did it. He made peace between, between us on two grounds. By abolishing in his flesh the law of commandments and ordinances. Got that? The shadows. This is the Mosaic law, the temple observance, the temple itself, the priesthood. All of those things were shadows. They were commanded shadows, but shadows nonetheless. And in Christ, they were eliminated, abolished with the commandments and ordinances so that he could make a new man. That he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. One of the grounds of peace, one of the grounds of peace, is what Christ accomplished regarding those shadows. That it was no longer how you arranged the chairs in church. It was no longer what the architecture was like. It was no longer the physicality of the body. We would hope that you have tolerance and love for every man, regardless of their race. But that's an effect of Christianity. It's not the Christianity we try to do. It's the Christianity we have become because of Jesus Christ. But we don't feature it by going after the physical. Matter of fact, Christ featured it by destroying the physical. And then it says, and, verse 16, might reconcile us both to God. So two things Jesus Christ did in himself that brought us Gentiles and Jews together. And that was, he abolished the law of Moses and he reconciled us both to God over our sins. Remove the shadows and remove the sin. Reconciliation and abolishing. Reconciling us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby bringing the hostility to an end. He made peace and removed the hostility. That's what we have been given as Gentiles. Not merely Jesus cleaning out a section of the temple that we can go stand in, even though we are not of Jewish descent. We're not hanging on barely. And we're not trying to, we're not trying to create a new temple, a Vatican somewhere, another place where all the rules that Jesus would want are being implemented, because that's not the rule that Jesus is implementing. He was trying to create something different. No more Jew, no more Gentile. Making one man in the place of two. Now, but that, you don't just to go breathe a sigh of relief and, well, thank goodness that's over. Glad, glad that Jewishness and its temple stuff is, and all that, you know, the stench of flesh being sacrificed is kind of very primitive. And you're kind of glad that's over. But, you know, actually, we have to stop and say, we have been given something else. Remember, He is your Father. Just like when the Lord said, I will be in my father's house, and you have taken my father's house and made it a house of trade, he knew it was a shadow, and he knew he was going to imp implement the destruction of it. And he was thinking of his own death. 
Because his temple, his life, was more important than that building. So, with God as your father, I'm supposed to call no man father because I have one father who is in heaven. What we're supposed to do with this? It's not just a relief. You are the architecture. What has happened is removing architecture as a you know, stone and mortar thing. Move, removing genetic descent. You know what we're talking about being born of Abraham. And no, it's being born again. Being born from above. We know that spiritual birth, the second birth, the new creature, the new man in the place of two, all those other things are unimportant. Now, what's the condition of what you are left with? This glorious, metaphysical, heart-oriented temple. It's a it's got to be substance. You're not allowed, you, we don't become more ephemeral as Christians. It's not like, oh, here is a temple. That's substantial. And then you move to Christian faith and walking by faith and spirit. And which one looks ephemeral to you? The faith and the spirit stuff, right? And the building looks substantial. And God says, it's the other way around. That's the shadow. The actual is the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The kingdom of God is within you. That's how it is. And so somehow I have to see the substance belonging to this new thing. And getting rooted in the substance of what Christ has done for me in his temple being destroyed. He came and preached peace to you. Verse 17. Who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He's talking to you Gentiles here. Built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure... And he's talking to you about the new kingdom, the new covenant, not the physical temple, but... Another building that's more substantial. And the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you also are built into it for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. That's the real. That is your father's house. Zeal for that house should consume you. Because you haven't been made into another pagan or Israelitish primitive bowing or scraping before a candlestick or, a, or, a, or an idol. You have been given Jesus Christ. You have been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. This, this is what knits us together. This is what the structure is. There's a great passage that Roy read this morning where you get Ezra reading the law and then the Levite standing up and explaining it. 
and everybody thrilled to death with the law and the explanation. And we have the apostles, the prophets, the Christ being read to us. And then, why don't I get up and talk for 40 minutes on Sunday? Well, that's it's, it's the role of the Levite, the person to explain. You might not agree with everything I say, that's fine. But we want to fulfill that role because we're building a temple. And it's not this building. You are built into it as a dwelling place for God. So when the kingdom of God has been moved from shadow to substance, it's been moved from physical to faith, from just birth to a new birth, you have got to reckon, you've got to be living as if that's what you think is substance. Everything that the world would think is insubstantial, you think is substance. And everything they offer to you is religious things to do because things to do are more concrete. You're going, no, you're missing the point. Whence comes this endless trampling of my courts? We don't, as Christians, think this way. And do you realize how central this idea what God did by looking at the, the, the architecture of the actual physical temple, he cast a shadow there, the court of the Gentiles, the court of women, the court of, the, of Israel. By, by doing that, and then destroying it, and pointing it back at him, building a temple in us, we're supposed to have an experience of more substance. Our sense of welcome ought to be huge. A couple of verses later, in the next chapter of Ephesians, I have it on the left-hand side here, Ephesians 3, right down at the bottom. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Okay. Mystery of Christ. Sounds pretty arcane. Sounds like, eh. we're getting to the deeper stuff here. Which was not made known to the sons of men, huh? of other generations, huh? as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles, that's us, and prophets, by the Spirit. Remember, that's what the temple is built on the foundation of, the apostles and the prophets, by the Spirit. That's what he just said at the end of, at the end of 2. That is, and he's going to just tell you what the mystery of Christ is. Mystery of Christ, hidden for ages, how the Gentiles are fellow heirs. That's the mystery of Christ. What Christ does in dying, he removes the control that the shadow has on religion. The law of Moses, the temple observance, the right sacrifices. He removes that. He gave sacrifice. He ended the law. He ended the ordinances. He ended the priesthood. The shadows don't count no more. And he reconciled us to God in his blood on the cross. The Gentiles have been made fellow heirs because faith became the salvific moment. Because faith became it. And a Gentile can have faith. You guys are all Gentiles. Right? We, we clarified that, right? You can believe. And in Christianity... Believing in your heart and calling on the name of the Lord to be saved is what makes you part of the temple of God. That's the mystery. The Jews couldn't comprehend it. They had lived for thousands of years 
with their special little doodads be in the path. Members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's the substance. Faith, what seems so insubstantial, but the work of our God and Christ in his death ended all the really insubstantial things. So when you <coughs> check to see if pews need to be overturned in the temple, if you want to be like Jesus, you want to find out where the temple substantially has been built. It's been built in us, within us. You want to do some examination. The zeal for the Lord's house, your Father's house, consume you. Do you, do you say, you know, have I made it a den of robbers, a house of trade? Is everything for me Jesus Christ, or is everything for me my job? And Jesus Christ is a, uh, a Sunday go to meeting. It's good to have religion in our family. But everything's your career. Is everything your art? Because I know some of you are artists. Is everything your art? Yeah, they're the worst. I know artists. I went to art school. Awful people. Musicians are the best, I guess. My wife gave me the evil eye there. No, they're awful too. Well, they seem to think that somehow this stuff that comes out of them and their fingers is just God's gift. We can be involved in all sorts of things that we take our life which a mystery hidden for ages which allows you Gentiles to walk up to Yahweh who has a dim view of how you've behaved. Okay? And wants to do bad things to you in the eternal. Offers to forgive you by the death of his son. Ought to impress you. Ought to say, this is substantial. Let's not play at anything else. Let's be sure that the temple that we are growing into really tries to understand the teaching or the foundation that's in the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus, our cornerstone. Let's make sure that we are being built into a temple by his Holy Spirit. In some way, it vaguely has something to do with Father's Day. That we, where our Father's temple is, where our Father's house is, Thou consider it. Let's thank him. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for you being our Father in glory. We would ask that as you build the temple among us, that the real substance of your Son's achievement on the cross would be evident in us substantially. That we would not content ourselves with mere shadows that get, get cast on the ground from substantial faith. Keep us away or keep us from being deceived. Lord, we ask that you would be making this temple a real credit to you. In your son's name, amen.